First, look together at a story, a beautiful story, that we're all, I think, somewhat familiar with. And you might want to turn to the Old Testament book of Ruth. Ruth, the uh, eighth book in the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, and Ruth. Ruth, we're told, is a story that took place during the period of the Judges. That's the way the story begins. And it came to pass in the days when the Judges judged that there was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. And the names of the man was Elimelech, and the names of his, son, of his wife, Naomi, and the name of his two sons, Malon and Kilion, Ephrathites of Bethlehem, Judah. And they came into the country of Moab and continued there. So this follows the book of Judges because it took place during that time. And we're not told exactly when, it just says during the period of the Judges. Well, the period of the Judges lasted about 330 years. And it really doesn't affect the, uh, the story, but uh, I kind of like to confine uh, the time as reasonably as we can. And we have a hint that's given to us in the last part when we're told that Boaz and Ruth, who eventually get together, husband and wife, have a son named Obed, who has a son named Jesse, and he has a son named David. So David is the great-grandson of Ruth. And so that gives us an idea. If we can go by my chronology, and a lot of folks don't, but it'll give us an idea to go by, that David became king in the year 1010 B.C., you know, nearly a thousand years before Christ came to this earth. 1010 B.C., and he became the king when he was 30 years of age. So that would mean that he was born in 1040, right? 1010 and 30 makes 1040 B.C. We're going backwards. Well, he was the son of Jesse, and Jesse had eight sons. He was the youngest son. Now, we're going to have to sort of guess that we'd say, well, perhaps Jesse was about 45 when his last son, David, was born. So we can add 45 to, what did I say, 1040, I'd make about 1085. Well, Jesse was the firstborn of uh, Obed. And so let's put his age about 25. And so uh, 1085 and 25 would be about 1110 B.C. So in round figures, we'd say about 1100 years before Christ is when this story took place. Because they were in Moab 10 years. Famine caused them to leave. So the places would include Bethlehem, that's the home where David was born, the city of David, and then they go over to Moab, which is east of the Dead Sea, and then they come back. So there are the two places for the story. Well, what about Moab? Well, it was a heathen nation, and their God's name was Chemosh. Moab was related to the Israelites in a way because Lot, who was Abraham's son, had the first son called Moab by his elder daughter. And so the descendants of Moab were in that way related to the Israelites. And as we've said, they were heathens who worshipped idols. What was the motivation of uh, the father, Elimelech, to take his wife and his two sons out of the land of Israel? The promised land over into a land 
that was possessed by heathens. We'll call them heathens, idolaters, whatever you wish to call them. Well, some thought perhaps he was thinking about his family. There was a famine. And 1 Timothy 5 and 8 tells us the man needs to take care of his own family. If he doesn't take care of his own family, he's worse than an infidel. And so if that was the reason, then we want to commend Eliminate. On the other hand, perhaps, and we can only perhaps these things, that he was saying that the grass is greener on the other side. And if that's the reason, and we're not certain, then we would question his judgment for taking his family over to a land of uh, the Moabites who were heathens. We know from Deuteronomy 7, 1 through 4, that God gave instructions to the children of Israel through Moses that when they came into this land of promise, there were seven tribes there, and they were to drive them out. They were not to give their sons to their daughters or their daughters to their sons because, and the reason given was, that they would lead them away into worshiping idols. And that's why. He didn't want them to uh, intermarry. So here is Elimelech with his wife going over with two well, they must have been teenagers at this time because they get married while they're there. And they marry people who do not believe in God unless they convert them before they marry them. They've been brought up, all the people they are living there, and it would seem that though uh, this family going, Moab, was uh, a singular incident. We don't read about any other families going with them or about any more being there with them. So we sort of question the idea of going to, uh, to Moab. We know when we look to Nehemiah, the last chapter, let me read a few verses. Nehemiah 13. Nehemiah came back after the Babylonian captivity, some years after, about a century later, to help rebuild the walls. And they found that the people there had, re had married uh, heathen wives. Let's start with verse 23. In those days also saw I the Jews that had married women of Ashdod, of Ammon, and of Moab. And their children spake half in the speech of Ashdod, and could not speak in the Jews' language, but according to the language of each people. And I contended with them. Now, now notice how Nehemiah went about this. He wasn't a, a gentle fellow. And I contended with them, and reviled them, and smote certain of them and plucked off their hair. I mean, you didn't want to contend with uh, Nehemiah. And made them swear by God, saying, You shall not give your daughters unto, your, unto their sons, nor take their daughters for your sons or for yourselves. Did not Solomon, king of Israel, sin by these things? Yet among many nations was there no king like Solomon. And he was beloved of his God, and God made him king over all Israel. Nevertheless, even him did foreign women cause to sin. Shall we then hearken unto you to do all this great evil, to trespass against our God in marrying foreign women? And so that mentions specifically about their having married women from Moab and why they shouldn't have done it. And so we, we wonder about... The wisdom of going there, even when there was a famine back home. Maybe they should have stayed and trusted more in God. But if that happened, then God would not have had the opportunity to work out through his providence the conversion of Ruth. 
and the beautiful love story that we read about that. But God works through all things. We know that people at that time during the period of the judges weren't all that faithful to God. In fact, that was the reason why God allowed the tribes around them to rise up and to oppress the people because they had turned away from God. And when the oppression got so bad, they turned back to God for help and God would raise up a judge, a savior. And that went through that process for 330 years. And it would appear that the people were progressively getting worse. Because we read about during the latter part of Judges four times, where it says that in those days there was no king in Israel, and the people did that which was right in their own eyes. So they weren't so concerned about God's law as what they thought was the right thing to do and what they wanted to do. Well, this was a setting that we find they're going to Moab. And I must say, I'm a little bit disappointed in Naomi. Look at verse 15, chapter 1 of Ruth. And she, Naomi, said to Ruth, Behold, thy sister-in-law is gone back unto her people and unto her God. Return thou after thy sister-in-law. Naomi was trying to encourage her daughters-in-law to uh, stay there if they wanted to. She had received word that the famine was over back in Bethlehem and Judah, and so she wanted to go back to her people. She lost her husband. She lost her two sons. Didn't have any need to stay there. Well, Orpah, one of the daughters-in-law, decided she'd not go. But Ruth didn't want to stay. She wanted to remain with Naomi. But what does Naomi, uh, yes, Naomi say to Ruth? He says, why don't you follow your sister-in-law? She's returned to her people and she's returned unto her God. I would think that anybody, certainly a child of God, these uh, Old Testament days, would want to encourage everybody to come and worship Jehovah and to be faithful to Him. So why are you saying, oh, go on back to your own people and, un and to your own God? Their God was Chemosh. And in the worship of Chemosh, they even sacrificed their own children as a burnt offering. Their worship involved immorality. And it was so far removed from the worship of the true and pure and holy and righteous God, Jehovah, that you'd want to say, well, you come with me. And I'll be an encouragement to you and you can be to me. And we'll go live among the Israelites, God's people. But she says, no, you go back to your people and to your God. Well, Ruth won't do that. That gives me a lesson, I think, is we want people to know the true God. And we want to encourage people to come to God, to Jesus Christ, and to obey His gospel. And to remain faithful to Him. Not be content with uh, denominationalism. Not be content with something that is not strictly following the Bible as God requires. In 2 John verses 9, 10, and 11, it says, Whosoever goeth onward and abideth not in the teaching or doctrine of Christ hath not God. And whosoever abideth in the teaching or doctrine hath both the Father and the Son. But if any man cometh unto you and bringeth not this teaching or this doctrine, receive him not into your house and give him no greeting. For he that giveth him greeting partaketh in his evil works 
Now that's pretty clear. We can separate ourselves from God by sanctioning false teaching. Whosoever goeth onward and abideth not in the teaching or the doctrine of Christ. That's in the Bible. Ephesians 5 and 11 says, Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather even reprove it. And so I say I'm somewhat disappointed with Naomi. But Ruth, I'm proud of. Maybe the family had already converted her. We're not told about that. But this is the way Ruth responded to her mother-in-law. She said, entreat me not to leave thee. And to return from following after thee. For whither thou goest, I will go. And where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, and thy God my God. And where thou diest, I will die, and there will I be buried. Jehovah do so to me, and more also, if aught but death separate thee and me. And when she made that plea to Naomi, Naomi stopped trying to persuade her to stay with their own people. And so they left. They set out because they had heard that the Lord had blessed the people. There was bread back in Bethlehem and Judah. The famine was over. Now, I might have jumped over something that I shouldn't have. That during the ten years they were living in Moab, Elimelech died. The two sons who married these two Moabite girls, they died. And then when Naomi heard that uh, everything was going all right back home, she wanted to go back. So Orpha remained, but Ruth clung to her mother-in-law. And they set out on this long journey. Ruth is really the main character. There are three characters, I guess, Ruth, Naomi, and Boaz. But from this point on, Ruth becomes the embodiment of all that is fine in a young widow. We know she was young. Because later Boaz said, I told my young men not to harm thee. She was young. We don't hear Ruth crying out at the loss of her husband. She surely must have wept. But expressing her affection for him in her loyalty to his mother, to his people, and to his God. There were many young widows who might have said, somebody else is going to have to take care of this forlorn old woman. I'm still young, and I want to marry again. And the mother of my first husband is in my way. But Ruth made this other choice, and she made it gracefully. She never complained because she had given up what appeared to be everything, her country, her relationships with young friends or perhaps a chance to marry a young man of her own country. We're talking about Ruth. Well, they set out together, just these two women. The distance is maybe a little less than 100 miles from Moab back to Bethlehem. And they went alone. They had to cross the, Ar uh, the Arnon River, then the Jordan River. They had to go down the plateaus, down into the valley, ascend up the mountains, and then 
back down to Bethlehem. It was quite a distance, a long distance, a fatiguing distance, and a very dangerous one for two women. But God was with them, and they returned to Bethlehem safely. Came back home, and as they came into the town, the women folks said, Is this Naomi? Well, they'd been gone ten years. She'd just come home from a long trip that was very tiring. Probably hadn't changed her clothes for a while or had a bath or whatever. Is this Naomi? She says, I'm Naomi, but don't call me that anymore. The word Naomi means pleasant. I want you to call me Mara, which means bitter. I have been through many bitter experiences. The Lord has afflicted me. He's allowed me to suffer. And so this is Naomi. She was a woman who was very conscious of God, even though we had a little criticism of her suggesting that her, Naomi, uh, her daughter-in-laws return to their God. For example, let me read a few passages. In chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, Naomi said, And Naomi said unto her two daughters-in-law, Go return each of you to her mother's house, Jehovah. This is like a prayer. Deal kindly with you as ye have dealt with the dead and with me. Jehovah grant you that ye may find rest, each of you in the home or house of her husband. She believed in Jehovah, even praying for him to bless the two daughters-in-law. 20 and 21, we just referred to that incident when they said, Is this Naomi? She said, Don't call me Naomi, but call me Mara. For the Almighty hath dealt very bitterly with me. Verse 21. I went out full. When she left Bethlehem, she had a husband. She had two sons. Their possessions. I went out full. And Jehovah hath brought me home again empty. No husband. No sons. Why call ye me Naomi? Seeing Jehovah hath testified against me. And the Almighty hath afflicted me. She believed God's principles of uh, blessing and cursing. Throughout the Old Testament, we find God saying, If you obey me, I'm going to bless you. And if you disobey me, you're going to receive my cursings. And that's the way it went. And now Naomi is thinking about her suffering and her afflictions that God sent upon her. I don't know if she had a guilty conscience. I don't know if she was maybe lax in her worship of the Lord while away. What it was, we're not told. But she says, the Lord has afflicted me, and I'm suffering. But she still believed in God. Later in chapter 2, in verse 20, where we read, The Lord bless him, referring to Boaz, because Boaz had befriended Ruth. And then referring to Jehovah, Who hath not left off his kindness to the living and to the dead. Well, the living were Naomi. And Ruth, the dead, were her husbands, their husbands. And so the last verse in chapter 1 tells us, And they came to Bethlehem in the beginning of the barley harvest. Now this would have been in the last part of April. It's followed two or three weeks later by the wheat harvest. And we're going to notice when the two harvests was over what uh, Ruth did. But to get back about the time the barley harvest begins... And God had provided for the poor, the widows, and the fatherless to be able to glean from the fields. 
And when the farmers went out there to harvest their, their crops, whatever it was, whether it was in the vineyards, the, the olive trees, the wheat, the barley, whatever it was, they were not to take everything. They were not to uh, harvest the corners of the fields. If they dropped any of the produce, leave it there. Don't go back and pick it up. And I will bless you for leaving those things for the poor. And so this was a provision. And Ruth and Naomi were poor. They were destitute. They were afflicted. But here is Ruth saying, Naomi, you stay here and I'll go. Now, Naomi had come about 100 miles from Moab, but she evidently was an older woman, old enough to be a grandmother. But uh, Ruth said, you stay here and I'll go. And so she went out and she gleaned in the fields. Well, I say the fields, there was just one. The first one that she landed upon happened to belong to Boaz. And in this, I can see the providence of God. Because in verse 3, chapter 2, it says... uh, And she went and came and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and her hap was to light on the portion of the field belonging unto Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech, that is, a near kinsman. And so her first day out to glean was in the field, and it says of Boaz that it was her hap, in one of those happenstances. Can't explain it, but she just happened to land on the field where Boaz owned Well, I think Bible believers can see the providence of God. And God uh, brought her there through his overruling providence into the right place because he's going to take care of them. Well, she begins to work. She asks permission. They say, okay, go to work. Well, pretty soon Boaz comes on the scene. He's been in the town taking care of other business. And he asks his foreman or his steward, uh, who is this damsel here? Now, he's heard about her. Bethlehem wasn't a very big town. And when they came back, they recognized Naomi, and word really spread fast. Here's Naomi. And her daughter-in-law's come back with her. They're all widows. And Boaz must have learned about all of this while he was in town. So he comes back. He hasn't seen her. He says, who is this woman? And the foreman says, this is, this is uh, the damsel who belongs to Moab and uh, has come back with Naomi, her mother-in-law. And she asked permission if she could go among the reapers and glean. And we gave her permission. Well, Boaz, I don't know if it was side, uh, love at first sight or not, but he is very, very kind to Ruth. He told his young men not to disturb her. In fact, he went over and talked to her. And he said, now, I want you to glean on this field. You stay right with these maidens, these uh, servants of mine, I've told my young men not to lay a hand upon you. They're not going to harm you. You go somewhere else, you might be harmed. And we'll take care of you. And uh, you don't have to, well, then he told his foreman, why don't you drop now and then some of those sheaves? And uh, never say anything to her. Don't revile her as she goes and picks those things up. Just give her a little bit of extra things. Well, Ruth falls on her face and expresses great uh, honor admiration, respect, and deference for, for Boaz. Then we read about how, when it was time to eat, verse 14, And at mealtime Boaz said unto her, Come hither, and eat of the bread, and dip thy morsel in the vinegar. Now, generally, they didn't uh, provide all those extra things for gleaners, the poor. 
but he does for a reason. And she sat beside the reapers, and they reached her parched grain, and she did eat. And when she was risen up to glean, Boaz commanded his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and so forth. We've mentioned that. Verse 17. So she gleaned in the field until even, and she beat out that which she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. The Living Bible says about a bushel. And she took it up and went into the city, and her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned, and she brought forth and gave to her that which she had left after she had sufficed. In other words, they gave her more food than she could eat. They provided a doggy bag. She could take home what she didn't eat when she was full to give it and share it with her, her mother-in-law. So we can see that Boaz was a, a God-loving man. When he came in, he greeted his, his uh, men in the same way, and they greeted him back. Referring to Jehovah. Jehovah bless thee. And that's the way they responded. So she gleaned. gleaned. She was a hard worker. And we've seen the providence of God. Now, at the end of chapter 2, look at the last verse. So she kept fast by the maidens of Boaz to glean unto the end of barley harvest and of wheat harvest. And she dwelt with her mother-in-law. Now the harvest period's over. So there's a transition going to take place now as we look at chapter 3. And here Ruth is at home. Nothing more to glean at that time. And Naomi says, uh, I have a scheme. I have a plan. And if you'll carry it out, then the Lord will provide for you. Chapter 3 and 1. Naomi, her mother-in-law, said unto her, My daughter... Shall I not seek rest for thee, that it may be well with thee? Well, what kind of rest? Look back again at chapter 1 and verse 9. Jehovah grant you that ye may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. So that's what Naomi's talking about. Rest, I'm going to see that you can have a husband. Now they've already, or at least uh, Naomi's already identified, Boaz as a near kinsman. You remember the Leverating Law? If a man died fatherless and he had any brothers at home, not married, they were to take the widow and marry her. And the first son was to have the inheritance of the older son that died. The Leverate Law, the brother-in-law law. Well, it was extended not just to brother-in-laws, but it involved uh, near kinsmen. And that's what took place here. Boaz is a near kinsman by Elimelech, Naomi's uh, husband who died and so she says go and I'll tell you what you do Boaz is going to be uh, winnowing his barley tonight you uh, put on your Sunday best or your Sabbath best whatever you dress you know anoint yourself get all ready and you notice that uh, after Boaz has eaten and drunk and he comes to lay down he's working there you know uh, winnowing the barley Notice where he goes to sleep. And then you creep up very softly and quietly and lay down at the feet at his feet. Take a part of his skirt and cover yourself. Well, about midnight, she did this because the mother-in-law told her to do it. About midnight, something startled Boaz and he woke up. And he saw this woman down there and he said, who are you? 
and she identified herself, I am Ruth, I am your near kinswoman, or near kinsman, or whatever. Well, he, he understood that because he already knew she was. And he could recognize that what she was saying was that I want to be married to you. For like leap year in America, a woman can ask the man, I understand. But here she was sort of putting him in a position where he could ask her, legally. And he said, yes, I know that we're related in that manner. But I also know, he's done research on this, that there's another man who's a near, near kinsman than I. And I'll check with him. If he wants to marry you, that'll be fine. But if he doesn't, then I'll marry you. So they have this understanding. He gives her a, a lot more barley to take home to her mother-in-law and says, tell your mother-in-law we worked out a deal. And so the last part of chapter 3, notice what Naomi says after she's been apprised of what's happened. For the man will not rest until he had finished this thing, uh, finished the thing this day. So Boaz got up early that morning and went to town. Now Boaz went up to the gate and sat him down there. And behold, the near kinsman of whom Boaz spake came by. Unto whom he said, Oh, such a one, turn aside, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sit ye down here. And they sat down. Now, he's getting ready to make whatever uh, arrangements need to be made. We know that this was uh, uh, the thing that was done in Israel. You remember back in uh, Genesis 19 and 1 when the two angels God sent came to Sodom? Where was Lot? He was in the gate. That's where they went to conduct their business, whether it was business or, or political. Well, let me give you a couple of more examples. Look at Deuteronomy 16 and 18. This was a part of the law. Judges and officers shalt thou make thee in all thy gates. Who? Judges, your officers, those who are going to carry on the business of the community, and they are going to meet at the gate, which Jehovah thy God giveth thee according to thy tribes, and they shall judge the people with righteous judgment, and so forth. Where do you find uh, that again in 25 and verse 7? And I think I need to read that. Deuteronomy 25, 7. And if the man like not to take his brother's wife, then his brother's wife shall go up to the gate unto the elders and say, My husband's brother refuses to raise up unto his brother a name in Israel. He will not perform the duty of a husband's brother unto me.